Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy. And today we're going to recap Dustin Poirier's epic trilogy win over Conor McGregor. And I'm joined by a very special guest, my man, Todd Martin, formerly of the LA Times of ESPN, currently living in Washington. I've worked with Sherdog, done a lot of cool things. Uh, Todd, welcome to Half the Battle. Pleasure to be here, Dan. Does that, does that make me a quarter of the battle then? <laughs> something like that something like that right we're about to get me on a technicality but this is cool because you don't know me i don't know you but we do have a mutual friend and mike who introduced us and was like hey y'all got to talk fights together so here, here we are talking fights for the very first time within five minutes of knowing each other and i mean i couldn't pick a better car to do it because what just went down was a historic event for the sport i mean conor mcgregor and dustin Poirier, the first time they fought in 2014 Obviously, McGregor knocked him out in the first round. The second time they fought in 2021, earlier this year, Dustin Poirier went out there and uh, returned the favor, got the second round knockout. Now, here was the trilogy with all the marbles. And, you know, people can say that, oh, it was an injury ending. But, I mean, Dustin Poirier was putting it on. Conor McGregor, two 10-8 rounds, one 10-9. McGregor wasn't able to answer the bell. And you got the winner, uh, Dustin Poirier here, who I think should be celebrating a legitimate win. But according to Connor, he used the words illegitimate. So, Todd, talk to me, man. Uh, what, what, what did you come out thinking uh, after uh, Saturday night was over? Yeah, I think I viewed it largely similarly to you. I mean, certainly when you look at it on paper, you say, hey, these guys fought twice. One guy knocked the guy on the first one. One guy knocked the guy on the second one. The third one ended with a guy breaking his, his leg, just landing on it wrong. That sounds like something you might say is a fluke result, but I agree with you. No, I mean, a number of things. Number one, um, as you mentioned, Poye was was uh, dominating the fight this time around, just like he was winning the first time out last time out, uh, last the first round last time out. And Connor is notoriously a guy that doesn't tend to come on well with in fights. Um, he does very well at the beginning. As fights go on, he doesn't do as well. Whereas Poirier has been in so many wars over the years, where he's I mean he's lost long fights as well, but he's a guy that towards the end of fights is still doing very well. So given the one-sided nature of the first round, to me, it seems unlikely that Connor was going to do much better in, in the second through fifth rounds. And the injury was set up, um, it looks like, on, on a check kick, which is part of the game. So yeah, I, I think ultimately, I mean, I understand where Connor's coming from in that regard, in the sense that if you have a, a fight where you've been rival with this guy for years and years and years and years, you don't want to have the fight end like that. I think most fighters in that, you know, in that circumstance, regardless of whether they're saying negative things about the guy's wife um, while yeah. on the ground afterwards, um, are likely going to want to run it back again. I can understand that, but I think for all intents and purposes, if I'm making it, making the judgment from a fight standpoint, um, I'm thinking, okay, the thing's resolved. Now, of course, when you're, you're talking about gigantic business, it's also understandable why the UFC would be thinking, hey, if Connor wants to fight again, you know, we've drawn, you know, 1.6 million buys right around then, maybe a little bit more um, for the third fight. Let's run it back. I understand that. But if it's my call, I, I say that the issue's done. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's a built-in excuse, right? Like for Conor McGregor. And and it's night and day. It's a far cry from the guy we used to know and love, at least me. I mean, when I used to think about Conor McGregor back in the day, I thought about one of the most inspirational, quotable, memorable guys in UFC history. And I'm, I'm still grateful for what he did for the sport on his come up. But 
when you talk about someone's wife, you mentioned how he was doing that after the fight. What about before the fight? I've never listen. I'm a guy that loves trash talk. I, I, I love it. It builds up the excitement in the fight. And, you know, talk about how you're going to knock this guy out. Talk about how you're going to embarrass him, you know, do all these things. And Connor used to be so witty. I mean, you remember the build up to the Chad Mendes fight and, um, you know, Chad was like, do you know what wrestling is? And Connor was like, I'll rest my balls on your forehead. Like, stand uh, stand up. We can barely see you. You know, that was funny trash talk. But now it's like you're bringing up a grown man's wife, and she has, she's got nothing to do with this fight whatsoever. He was doing it before the fact. And listen, it's one thing to make a fool out of yourself before the fight. But then after the fight, remember when Connor used to be the guy that was like, I'm humble in victory and defeat. Well, what the hell happened to that, man? So I think this guy's gone off the deep end. And I, I seriously hope for his sake that he's made good investments with his money because you've seen the story happen so many times. Like, for example, the great Mike Tyson. Remember when he went bankrupt for $300 million? And now, you know, thank God that, you know, he's he's gone back on his feet. He's got some things going for him again. So he's good to go again. But the way it's going with McGregor right now, I see this spiraling out of control and it's going to, you know, reflect on other areas of his life. So as a, and again, when I talk about this trash talk, I'm not Mr. Goody two shoes, man. I like trash talk. I, that's what makes this fun. But when you bring another man's family and wife into the equation, that's where I draw the line. I thought it was classless. Honestly, I was repulsed, man. And, and, and me saying that, because I know people are going to be like, oh, they're going to fight anyways. I'm like, yeah, I get they're going to fight anyways, but talk about how you're going to knock him out. Now, and and the way Connor talked about how he was going to knock him out was also classless. I'm going to this guy's not going to be able to come home to his family. This guy's going to die like you do not threaten death. Do you remember when Frank Mir threatened death to, I believe, Brock Lesnar and how big of a fucking deal it was? I mean, they took away his WEC commentating gig like that was a and big, he was so good at that. And he never he never did it again. <laughs> like Frank Mir was the man. I remember like him and um, I forget who his co-host was, but in the WC, when I'd come home from high school to watch it, and I think it was Todd always, Harris, actually. Yeah, Todd Harris. Another that's Todd. right. I'd always look forward to hearing them on the mic. And, you know, he made that one comment and never came back ever again, despite how talented Frank Mir is as an analyst. And now McGregor saying those kind of things. It just it rubs me the wrong way. And the reason it rubs me the wrong way is because Connor is the biggest star in this sport. You have all the eyes on you have all these kids looking up to you. And this is the example you want to set for them. Like, man, and it's and again, like I use this term already. It's a far cry from the guy that we once knew and loved. Conor McGregor, 2014 to 2016, like that's inspirational. The rags to riches story going up and being the first simultaneous champ champ. Now we got to give credit to BJ Penn, Randy Couture. They also had two belts, never simultaneously, but they had two belts. And then got to give a shout out to Triple Go, Triple C, Henry Cejudo, the first to ever defend both belts simultaneously. But Conor was the first champ champ. And ever since then, he's gone off the deep end. And it's man, it, it's this sport is brutal, Todd. Yeah, I wish I could come at it from somewhat of a different angle than you um, to, to mix things up, but I also view this very similar to you. And I think that the key distinction that you made is is one that was, in my mind, thinking about it too. Because I think there are some people that when you get the big tra trash talkers like a, like, an, uh, like a Chael Sonnen, like a Conor McGregor, there are some people that are just put off by that reflexively. They don't like a lot of shit talking in MMA. They just like people to be more respectful. And I'm not one of those people. I like to trash talk myself. I'm cool with that. I'm cool with coming at people this respectfully before the fight of, of making the fight interesting I, I don't have a problem with that and really even like i mean I, th I think talking about a family is probably off you know off grounds uh you know in in general but i think most things you say before a fight are largely fine you're building up a fight um but 
the image of him after the fight of just being on the ground and just spewing this anger. He was so angry. And I, I will, in a little bit of, of a, of a, uh, you know, something cutting in the other direction. I mean, he did just break his leg. So you've got to make a little bit of an allowance there, but I mean, you, you can tell people through adversity and here's a guy who's there on the ground and is just screaming these vile things at the guy's wife. And it was just, it was an ugly scene. And you brought up Tyson, and I mean, it, it reminded me of the later stages of uh, of Tyson, where when Tyson wasn't able to fight as well, the hook in Tyson became, what would he do next? And the sort of the spectacle of it all, as opposed to seeing the greatness of a great fighter. And, and that's something that's, that's, I found it sad. I found it a sad night, because even when someone is playing the role of antagonist in mixed martial arts. I like to see, I like to believe the deep down, these guys are good guys. They're in a, a sport that I enjoy a lot. I enjoy seeing them thrive in MMA. I'll, I'll give you uh, something I was thinking about when, when watching Connor was back at, at UFC 65. This was the, the Matt Hughes, um, George St. Pierre, I think it was 65, but it was the Matt, Matt Hughes, George St. Pierre second fight in Sacramento. Um, and, up until that to that point, and really, you know, points afterwards, Matt Hughes has not always represented himself well. Um, I thought he came across as a jerk in a lot of his his uh, you know his dealings with the media, the way he treated George St. Pierre, kind of an arrogant guy. And I remember after that fight when George St. Pierre knocked him out, um, probably the biggest loss of Hughes' career as far as like marking the delineation between the time when he was the dominant welterweight in the world, and then there was a period afterwards. He was never at that level again. And I remember I was at that fight, and um, we went to the press conference afterwards. And Matt Hughes, who had just been knocked out, went to the press conference, took questions, was totally humble, was straightforward, gave his respect to, to George, was honest in his appraisal. There was no BS about it. He just represented himself as a guy that had genuine humility about the ability to take what was, you know, the biggest loss of his career. And I thought, what a, a great moment for a guy that a lot of people don't think that highly of, the way that he represented himself in such a low point. And I was watching Connor there, who was at such a low point, and I thought it was like the opposite. It was a guy that, you know, as you mentioned, a lot of us thought very highly of, have really enjoyed his trash, have enjoyed the the excitement that he's brought to the sport. You know, I think we all as fans of the sport love a really great fight where there's all the anticipation, you get the goosebumps, you get the walk and it's a big fight. And so you want to, you know, I, at least me, I, I ultimately want to have like a positive, you know, image of the guy. And I just saw this, you know, sort of small guy on the ground yelling things about the other guy's wife. And it was, it was sad. You know, he, he's pointing gun signs to his head. And apparently he was saying, I'm going to kill you in your sleep. And it's like, well, you couldn't kill him while he was right in front of you inside the octagon the last two times. So you're, you know, what are you, Tony Montana now? And not any, you're not the Tony Montana on the come up either. You're Tony Montana doing 20 rails of Coke about to, you know, get, you know, about to be, uh, be at the very, very end. And what's interesting is poor is fun. I mean, in fairness. I think Tony Montana was having a little bit more fun during that time. Period than, than was. <laughs> yeah. He didn't break his leg. Did he? He, he went, <laughs> he went out like a, but like Poria has fought three different versions of Connor. The first guy he fought was the young, invincible phenom on his way to champ champ status. The second guy he fought was an overtly nice, you know, charitable, respectable, humble Conor McGregor. I was like, okay, like, listen, you don't have to be this nice, but we'll take it, man. He was <laughs> humble in, uh, in defeat as well. Then he fought the classless piece of shit Connor. And you know what's interesting about this whole thing is that, okay, look, the first time 
2014, Dustin was overly emotional. But the last two times, Dustin's been consistent, man. Just been the same guy. He's been himself throughout the whole process. He never changed who he is for anyone. And just as a person, that authenticity is something I have so much respect for. In addition to his fighting style, I mean, is Dustin Poirier not one of the most exciting fighters in the history of the sport? I mean, just, if, uh, screw my opinion. He's got the most knockouts in UFC lightweight history. He surpassed Melvin uh, Gillard and um, I forget who the other guy he passed was. But bottom line, he's now number one for most knockouts in UFC. Oh, yeah, Edson Barbosa. And now he's number one UFC lightweight knockouts. He's one of the most exciting fighters in the history of the sport. He's also a family man. He's got the charity going on. And where I think things went wrong with them was apparently – Connor promised a 500k donation to to the Good Fight Foundation, which is Dustin Poirier's uh, foundation, uh, his charity. And after uh, the word on the street is, after Connor got knocked out, you know, back in January, apparently his team completely stopped responding. They went cold. And then Connor comes out with a prediction that he's going to knock out Dustin Poirier. He's going to leave him on a stretcher. He's going to do all these things. And uh, Dustin was witty enough to have a response. Well, you also made a perspective. Uh, you also made a prediction that you were going to donate 500 K to my charity and McGregor try to act like, Oh, he's slandering my name. It's like, dude, like what? Just give the donation and we move on. No big deal. Like what happened to humble and victory and defeat? I, I don't like this version of Conor McGregor at all. And you're seeing a guy towards the very end. I don't, I personally don't think he's a top five guy anymore. I mean, listen, Todd, if you want to get down to the, to the nitty gritty, the last time that he won a fight at 155 pounds was in 2016. He's one in three in his last uh, four fights. One in four, if you want to include Floyd Mayweather. I do include, I do include Floyd Mayweather because head strikes. I mean, this is, this is combat sports. And, I, I, man, and another thing I want to say is that Conor McGregor is known for those fast starts, and he's the one that lost the first round this time. So, we're not seeing the same guy in and out of the cage. And then he's completely surrounded by all these yes men. You see, not just the before the fight, but you see what they're saying. After the fight, Kavanaugh was like, oh, it was going according to plan. Like, no, it wasn't. Like, what the fuck are you talking? Like, I understand that Kavanaugh is a New York Times bestselling author, but don't look me in the eye with a straight face and tell me it was going according to plan, Todd. Yeah, I, I don't know the psychology there because it, it depends upon the individual fighters, individual coaches. Coach, some coaches will be very honest with their fighters. Some coaches will will blow them up, and I assume that just comes from the psychology and day to day. So I don't I don't read too much into that one way or another. As far as the the point you were making about Connor's approach and what was sort of the catalyst for him approaching the third fight in the way that he did. Um, I mean, I can't read minds. I don't know why he approached the third fight so much differently than the second fight, but I think there's a clue in it in the way that he started the fight. Because when you look back at some of Connor's early fights, I think there's a strong argument for, to be made that a lot of the trash talk he viewed as not only something that would get him noticed and make him more popular as a star, but something that would offer him a strategic advantage in fights. Um, you look at the Aldo fight, he talked so much trash to Aldo. Aldo charged right across the cage at him and got countered. A lot of guys would come to Connor, who, you know, he, he's willing to move forward, but he's more comfortable, as a lot of strikers are, countering people. And guys would come in and he'd catch them. And if you watch this fight, he talked all that trash about Dustin Poirier. But when he when the when the fight started, he was not leaning back trying to make get, let Dustin get mad and then take advantage of that. He was the guy. 
that came out really guns ablaze. And he was the guy throwing lots and lots of kicks in that early going. He was the aggressor in the early part of the fight, and it was Dustin that was countering him. And I think if you were looking at something that was a strategic element, I think you'd be looking at the opposite of that. So I think the way that he approached the fight suggests more likely it's what you said, that he got upset at the insinuation that he wasn't going to be paying the money to, 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 to the charity that he thought that he said he would. Um, now, was that just a mix-up? Was that going to come in time? I don't know, one way or another. But I think that was more likely the the result of, of, of uh, rather the, the catalyst for what happened there. And as far as where Dustin, uh, rather Connor stands in, in lightweight division right now, um, it's hard to say. I mean, I, I don't sense a guy that's completely fallen off. I mean, I think if you gave him some easy opponents, he'd likely do pretty well against them. But that is a deep division. I mean, you can go into the, you know, the guys who are 15, 20, 25, and you've got a lot of really good fighters. So I think there are a lot of, a lot of big challenges for Connor in that division. And and uh, yeah, I, I don't. I, I think it's. I think it's unlikely that if you had the time to match people up over and over again, that he'd be in the the top five as far as doing well against the same competition. Yeah, and then speaking about the technical details of the fight, um, obviously, you know, Connor comes out spinning the or spamming the spinning back kicks, and they didn't seem very effective at all. And what was interesting, we got to talk about the guillotine attempt. Which, firstly, as far as the hand grips are concerned. I, at first, I was like, "Damn!" Like Connor, like might actually get this guillotine. But you know firsthand that you know if, if you've rolled before, you know that with the guillotine, you got to get that full guard. Connor's attempting it from half guard, which is a huge no-no. And then the way to get out of the guillotine, obviously, you can hand fight, but the other way is to pass guard. So there's this controversy about Poirier allegedly putting his uh, toes in the fence. Well. Putting his toes in the fence doesn't prevent the guillotine. What, what, what Poirier was trying to do was pass the side control. The fence was in the way of that. And even if he did put his toes in the fence, like what Con it, it, this is on Connor, man. Connor was supposed to wrap his legs around the body of Poirier. That's how you start to secure the guillotine. I like how uh, Dustin defended the guillotine. And in addition to that, when Connor finally did get a full guard, one arm was around his neck, the other arm was free. And, uh, Poirier was controlling that arm. So I loved how he got out of it. Then he started raining that ground and pounds from the heavens, something that we saw in round two uh, of the Khabib fight with uh, with Conor McGregor. And, man, it, it, it was vicious. So Conor McGregor ain't exactly the kind of guy to come back from adversity. That's always been the case throughout his career. He's a front runner. He's a bully. But he's one of the best front runners and best bullies that we've ever seen in the history of the sport, man. It's just that when was the last time you saw Conor get dropped in a fight and come back and win? When's the last time you saw someone take Connor's back, he escapes, and then he comes back to knock the guy out. The only times that people point out any kind of adversity that McGregor's ever overcame in a fight, they reference the Chad Mendes fight. And if you really go back and watch that fight, firstly, like all the stand-up exchanges, uh, McGregor was picking him apart, but uh, Chad landed a couple takedowns. So you're telling me that the, the, the adversity that uh, McGregor's overcome in his fight is Chad Mendes laid in his guard, landed a couple elbows, like no big deal. That that's the that's the adversity you overcame. Whereas you look at a guy like Dustin Poirier. I think I think Nate Diaz, though, to be fair, is the example. Because I mean, credit to Connor in that fight. I think over the course of his over his career, he hasn't come back from adversity that much. But that 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 second fight with Nate Diaz, I mean, there I forget the individual rounds, which ones were which, but there's a point there in the fight where Nate Diaz was ahead and he was pouring on the offense. And I was thinking, Connor's done. There's no way he's coming back. Back, and he came back he won the round he won the fight so that i think that's the one if you're going to point to him going through adversity was the one that he he deserves credit for but i mean the broader point is you know i'm with you on he, he's not a guy that, that has a lot of examples of that but let, let me say this to counter that point though because if you recall how that fight went down so it starts off 
McGregor, and I'm talking about Diaz and McGregor too. Mm. McGregor comes out and he actually changes things up. He starts going to the leg kicks, which historically were always a weakness for the Diaz brothers. And and if you recall, in the early going, McGregor actually lands three knockdowns mm. on Nate Diaz. So it was actually Nate overcame adversity. He was the guy that got knocked down three times. He starts teeing off on Connor. Now, here's where you can make the argument of Connor, you know, maybe getting a second win and coming back to win. My whole thing was. Nate Diaz is so rich that at this point, he doesn't give a shit about judges. He only cares about his street honor. So, you know, he'll point at you. And if he's got the big moment, he feels like he won the fight, just like the Leon fight. Do, does nothing for the four, the first four rounds, lands the big combination in the last minute, considers himself the winner. The Diaz brothers play by their own rules. But th those little examples of him, you know, quote unquote, overcoming adversity. It's not the same kind of adversity that Dustin's had to overcome in fights. I've seen Dustin get wobbled in fights, get dropped in fights and come back and finish those fights. So I just think it's a different degree. Like, look, on a, on a minor scale, you can say that, yeah, he overcame adversity against Diaz really because he blew his wad trying to finish him. And then he caught a second win in the later rounds. But, you know, it, it, DS Which is not an easy thing to do against a guy with cardio for days yeah. who's who's leading the fight. I mean, I, I think I think the distinction is more uh, uh, quantitative than qualitative in the sense that I don't think that what Connor did in that fight was that much different than things that Poirier, Poirier has done in other fights. I just think that Poirier has done it so many times over the course of his career that you've got a track record of a guy that keeps coming and keeps coming, keeps coming no matter what over a long course of a career versus a guy that more often than not has, has, has fallen when, 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 when tested. Yeah. Now Diaz did end up winning the fifth round of that fight, but that doesn't really matter right here. What matters here is, you know, what's happening next with these guys? Cause firstly, Poirier, I'm happy for him. Got the two biggest paychecks of his career back to back. He's getting pay-per-view points on the back end now. And this makes me happy because, you know, Let's put some bias into it. Dustin Poirier is one of my all-time favorite fighters, man. I mean, how can he not be uh, inside, outside the cage? And also, the first time I ever saw him fight, if you recall, Jose Aldo was supposed to fight this undefeated kid named Josh Grisby, and they called him Josh the Flute Grisby. And in the WEC, Josh Grisby was putting people to sleep, whether it was Mark Hominick. Um, I can't he had a lot of hype. I yeah. can't remember the other guys. Maybe Eves Jabuen or some other guys he put to sleep. Uh, and it, like Josh Grisby... Excuse me. Josh Grisby was the man back then. And this was the event when um, when Gray Maynard fought Frankie Edgar the second. Yeah, time. I was at that fight. Yeah. They had they had a trilogy too. And funny enough, that was the night when Tiago Silva was playing the drums on Brandon Vera's head. But uh, <laughs> back, back to uh, this example, that was that was my introduction to Dustin Poirier when he fought Josh Grisby. And, you know, he you know, uh, he was some random kid that went one and one in the WEC. No one knew who he was. I knew damn well who he was after that performance. I mean, he put a beating on Josh Grisby to a point where not only did Dustin put his name on the map, Josh Grisby was never the same again. Josh Grisby was about to fight Jose Aldo, and then he never won a fight ever again. Then he goes off the deep end. Then he becomes a criminal. Then all these things happen. So Dustin Poirier changes lives, man. And I'm curious to I'm I'm very curious if Connor just didn't come back the same after truly being put out cold for the first time because it's not just a matter of you know the physical things where you know how we talk about you know if you get knocked out it becomes that much easier to get knocked out again but mcgregor has the aura of invincibility and which means you need a lot of confidence and when you've been to quote dustin poirier when you've been put on airplane mode like that for the first time i mean you see connor lost his mind and it's Almost like bipolar. Like in January, he's overtly nice. Like so, like that they're hugging in the in, in the 
in the uh in the stare down face off like they're doing all these things they're giving each other hot sauce and whiskey bottles like they're doing the whole bit they're best friends then then now he's threatening him to the grave he's bringing up his wife like where's that middle ground you know and where's the humility todd yeah yeah i, I think there's definitely a uh an element of that with connor and as far as uh dustin goes yeah i mean the, the cool thing about it too about what's happened with dustin in recent years is as you mentioned like i think Poirier was a favorite of a lot of people that paid attention to the sport because he had so many exciting performances, even in fights that he lost. I mean, the Korean zombie fight was, you know, fight of the year back in you know, whenever it was, 2011, 2012. So, I mean, he's been having really exciting fights and really good performances for so many years. But the thing with, with, with Poirier for years was that, and I, sometimes people have the, the element of like, can't win the big one, you know, like they, they don't do as well in the bigger fights. And I think sometimes that's overblown. Sometimes I think it's just circumstance, but Dustin over the years, when he was in, at a number of points where he could have moved himself real close to a title shot and sort of gotten him into that bracket where he's going to be getting high profile feats, fights each time out. He had a few setbacks at key moments with the, the Connor fight being one of them. And after a while it came to, I came to think that Dustin was a guy that wasn't going to get the respect that he deserved. He was a guy that, you know, people enjoy for good fights, but didn't necessarily think of as one of the top fighters in the sport. And I did, I thought he was one of the top fighters in the sport. And over the past couple, couple years it's been nice for him to prove that skill you know with with the fights with uh you know with gaethje and the fights against holloway and the fights against connor um he's not only uh proved himself at the top level but he's made himself a ton of money and that's not always guaranteed with people you know there are people that you know have the reputation of having exciting fighters and they never break through the level where it results in uh larger notoriety and the really big paychecks. And so I think Dustin's a guy that deserved to have that breakthrough. And I I'm glad that, that he did. I mean, well said, like, dude, that Korean zombie fight is one of the best fights I've ever seen in all my years watching the sport. Like the, the Cub Swanson fight that he took like on a week or two and notice, you know, it's funny. He told the UFC he weighed 170 pounds so that they'd give him the car. In reality, he weighed 187 pounds. He's having all these brutal weight cuts uh, at, back at, at 145. And man, he just has so many admirable performances. He's truly when he talks about paid in full. I mean, there's no bullshit about that, man. I mean, this guy has literally laid his foundation brick by brick, beat Max Holloway twice. I was in attendance the second time when he won the belt against him in Atlanta, Georgia, the same night that Israel fought Kelvin. And, you know, I, one I got of, one of the, as good of a card as you're ever going to see. <laughs> I got <laughs> I, to admit, I shed a tear when, when Dustin won just because you've seen this guy with all the ups and downs. And there's something to be said about a guy that picks himself back up, you know, hits. There's a Gucci man quote. I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. So I'm gonna quote Gucci man. He said, <laughs> hit rock bottom, can't go but up. And like Dustin Poirier is the embodiment of that. And what's interesting is so after his first Connor fight back in 2014, that was his last fight at 145 pounds. Then he goes up to 55 has the amazing performance against Diego Ferreira, absolutely starches Yancey Medeiros. And then it's like, okay, let's put him in a main event against Michael Johnson. And there was a lot of back and forth fight in that talk. That, in that There was a lot of back and forth talk in that fight. That was one of those where Dustin was the one acting uncharacteristic. And I don't know if there's a parallel between, you know, saying outlandish comments and then underperforming in these fights, like, like, like Connor, you know, saying he's going to put him in the grave and, mentioning the stuff about his wife and then he goes out there and doesn't perform there's been so many when these guys say really stupid shit before the fights i've noticed they, they tend to lose uh big time but anyways if you watch the weigh-ins between michael johnson and dustin Poirier, you know dustin's pointing in michael's face he's doing all these crazy things he's not the calm cool collected guy we know he gets starched there and right then and there it seemed like well man 
it's going to take a long ass time for you to get back in the position you were just in. And, and then he goes on this historic run, beats champion after champion after champion, beats Pettis, beats Justin Gaethje, beats Max Holloway. And it's not just that he beat these guys. It's how he beat these guys, Todd, because one thing about Justin Gaethje, the, the massive leg kicks, the kind of pace he can push his one hitter quitter power. Dustin Poirier attempted over 350 strikes in that Justin Gaethje fight, which that is some serious output, my friend. And then leading into the Max Holloway fight, because Max Holloway, that the output king of the UFC, like who's a, who can match Max Holloway's output in a fight, right? Like you got to, you know, have like a, a different tactical approach where it, whether it's Volkanovski coming out there with the leg kicks or, you know, um, some of these other losses he's had, but to actually beat him at his own game, like Dustin did in Atlanta, Georgia, that spoke volumes to me, won the belt that night. No, no shame in losing to, um, uh, to Khabib, but then the hooker fight. So this is where it's interesting. Cause I actually thought that in January, there was a good chance McGregor was going to win. The reason why is because when you watch that Poirier versus hooker fight in that second round, man, it was a straight-up brawl. Dustin was eating a lot of clean shots, and I'm thinking to myself, well, man, if he's eating all these clean shots against Hooker, what's going to happen against McGregor? And he ate the McGregor shots, no problem, uh, the second time around. Ends up knocking him out, and then this time you just see a different confidence in Poirier, and he took it from he took it to McGregor from the opening bell. Gets two ten a rounds, and I'm very confident in saying if that would have hit a second round, that Dustin Poirier was finishing that fight, Todd. You know, as far as the, the hooker and 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 and, Con and Connor and and the Poirier thing goes, I mean that's I think something that people often um, underestimate in MMA is just how much things can break differently in individual fights. And I think with the point with the first fight between Dustin and Connor, um, there was a lot of people that I think overestimated how much that fight meant in the sense that Connor caught him quickly, but I don't think that was some sort of foregone conclusion. The fight was going to go that way. It happens in fights. People get caught. And, you know, with a hooker example being another example, sometimes you get, you know, sometimes you get caught with things and it has a big effect on you and it ends a fight and other fights, other times you can work through it and, and, and it doesn't land perfectly on you. And with a lot of short, um, with a lot of short fights, I think, there settles in sort of a feeling of inevitability to what happened. And I think that happened with both Connor and Dustin, and it took a while for both of them to overcome uh, the suppositions in people's minds. With Connor, the idea of invincibility, I don't take it as any sort of given that Connor was going to win that first fight with Dustin. Dustin hit hard, he keeps coming, he has a lot of skills. And I think Connor was more dangerous back then. Um, because he was focused fully on fighting and he was still really hungry. But I don't take it as any sort of given that that fight was going to go the way that it does. And if it had gone the other way, obviously everything breaks differently for those guys. And I think a lot of times people um, people just, again, attach a feeling of inevitability to a fight that doesn't necessarily deserve it. And that fight um, was one that if it had broken the other way, that both guys' careers would have gone in completely different directions. Yeah, I mean, no questions asked, but you could just see, and we're talking about the 2014 fight at Featherweight. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, see, that talk that Connor was putting on there, it was the memorable quotes, and he was truly in Poirier's head, but there was nothing that you know, made me feel disgusted. There was nothing that made me feel repulsed. Like if I had kids, man, I wouldn't want them to hear the shit that Connor said this week. Like that's not a representation of this sport that we that we like. Now, granted, look, there's a lot of odd characters in the sport. We'll talk about Tuivasa and Hardy here in a second, but uh, but I'm just saying that the way that Connor used to go about, you know, the way he used to carry himself, 
I thought it was super admirable until until around the Floyd Mayweather fight started. I don't know what changed. I mean, did the money change him? I mean, tons of guys are rich. Maybe they're not fuck you rich like like Conor McGregor is, but tons of guys are rich and are still, you know, they still maintain their integrity. I feel like I feel like Conor McGregor sold out, man, and um it's it's sad to see you know, it, here's the thing with all your favorite fighters, you know, you you have to accept the fact that they got the beginning, the beginning of their career. They got the prime and then they got the time when they go off the deep end. You know, even Anderson Silva, who I love and shout out to Anderson Silva for beating Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. in that boxing match. That was so badass. But after the Weidman fights, because going in in the Weidman fights, it was like a death sentence to fight Anderson Silva. It was like fighting a guy out of a movie. I mean, do you remember the way he would clown these guys? Do you remember the way he was in the Matrix? And then after the Weidman fights, it was just never the same. But we didn't lose respect for Silva. We still were like, hey, this is a legend of the sport. He's just getting up there in age. Like It, it is what it is. Where, Whereas with McGregor, not only is he declining in terms of his skills, but I'm I don't like what I hear him say like I I'm repulsed by it man and again I'm not Mr. Goody Two Shoes I'm not a guy who gets easily offended and you know likes to go on a you know uh, a throw a pity party about how offended I am about these things but like you cannot be talking about actually killing a man you cannot be talking about a grown man's wife and he made that same mistake with Habib you saw how that went down so I truly think that all these things that you know, all the money, all, all the cocaine, all, you know, punching old men at bars, um, all these things just seriously mess with his realm of reality. And now we're dealing with a delusional with a delusional man who's, who's about to be a delusional old man. And it's sad. I hope he gets the help he needs because he's surrounded by yes, man. Like I said, you see John Kavanaugh coming out saying, oh, he's going according to plan. Connor was looking great. No, he was not looking great. So. And it's tough because you've built up this whole foundation. You have your team. Like what? Like what are you gonna do? Like you're, you're not gonna see Connor go move to another camp. Like dude, he's not about to wake up at 5 a.m. and run sprints. Like he's not gonna do the whole bit that it takes to become a world champion. So, like, are, are we gonna do Connor versus Ally Kinta now? Like so we can guarantee him a win? Like like what kind of like, like what 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 direction do we go in here? You know. I'll, I'll say this. I don't know whether I'm not as, as confident as you are that he might not be able to refine his his hunger, but I am confident that he will that we will hear that he has re, re, regained his hunger um, at some point in the very near right. future. Um, we're definitely going to hear that, and, and I think the results will uh, will speak for themselves afterwards. As far as like his overall, um, you know, his overall arc, I I don't know the guy at all. To, to, to judge um, the, the trajectory of his career. But speaking in general terms, there have been a lot of people over the years that fit the exact pattern you're talking about, where when you're on the come up, you don't have the money, you don't have the fame, and you're hungry. And it puts you, not only it makes you do the right things, but it also puts you in a position where you feel the need to try to do the right things for other people, to try to do the right things in terms of uh, building up your career and trying to act the right way. And when you start getting richer, people start kissing your ass whenever you see, whenever they see you. You start hearing all these great things about yourself. And we've seen a lot of people over the years that weren't able to deal with that very well and that have responded by, I mean, I think in some instances, it's, it's people uh, changing. And I think in some instances, it's just their bad attributes coming to the surface because they don't have the same... Uh, the same things holding back those tendencies that were always there. 
And again, I, I, I don't feel like I, I know Connor well enough to speak to that, but it's certainly a pattern we've seen a lot. And particularly among amongst athletes, because in a lot of cases with athletes, you have um, you have people that came from humble beginnings and had to work really, really hard to get to the top, and their lives changed in very fundamental ways, and it became you know it, it became very difficult to figure out how to uh, how to deal with the fallout of that. And uh, yeah, I mean, Connor, you look at it right now, and. Um, you know, it, it looks like it, it, it could be another sort of, uh, cautionary tale, but look, we'll see. I mean, exactly. these things change. I mean, there, there've been people where they seemed, I mean, with Tyson being the prime example, I mean, Tyson was the biggest villain in the world and, you know, you can, you can criticize the fact that he's become vindicated in a lot of, in a lot of circles and people have, have gravitated back towards him, but that's definitely happened. And he's become, you know, in, in a lot of circles, a beloved figure, um, in spite of mistakes that he's made in the past. So there's, there's redemption for people, particularly when you're very colorful and you're loquacious and you can get people, um, to bring people towards you with your magnetic personality. I, I don't, I don't take it as any sort of given that, you know, people will have forgotten this in 20 years. And when Connor shows up in an event in a, in a, in a crisp suit, everyone goes nuts because it's Connor McGregor, the beloved figure of the past. I think, I think that's still on the table. Oh, hundred percent. I'm super happy you brought that up because basically what I'm trying to say is that right now, since he's still a fighter, I feel like we have to judge him on those terms. Like for example, like Chris Weidman, you know, and I'm a betting man, so I'm going to be super brutal. He's been knocked out in five of his last six and this, this and that, you know, if I'm, if I'm breaking down a fight, but as soon as Chris, as soon as Chris Weidman retires, I don't give a fuck about any of those losses. All I think about is the guy that he was the man that dethroned Anderson Silva. He will always have a um, a big history in this sport, man. He'll always have a big spot for what he accomplished. So, you know, Chris Weidman walks into the room and it's like, dude, you're the guy that dethroned Anderson Silva. That's how I view him now. Now that, you know, he just broke his leg. You know, we're not talking shit about all his knockout losses anymore. Now we're honoring the guy he once was. And with Connor. I agree with you. Right now, he's still fighting. Right now, he's still delusional. Right now, he's still being disrespectful to people's wives. But down the line, maybe five, ten years from now, when the fighting is done, and then, like you said, you see him at the events, then we think of, then we think of him as, hey, the guy that was the first simultaneous champ champ. Then we think of him, again, as the once quotable, memorable, inspirational figure that he truly was. So I agree with you. There is... There is rooms for there is grounds for redemption down the line. It's just right now in the present, I, I, I can't I can't I can't fuck with this guy that that we're seeing, man. I just can't do it, you know. Well, the key the key is how he's perceived for the things that he does that are outside of the octagon. Well, in some cases inside the octagon, but outside the fighting. I mean, Chris Weidman. I mean, Chris Weidman, one of the nicest guys in the sport, a guy who's always conducted himself the right way. You know, the losses people aren't going to hold that against him because people lose. But if you look at some, uh, what's another? I'm trying to think of an example. Oh yeah, I mean, Shale. Shale said a lot of terrible things about a lot of different people. <laughs> but I think people fundamentally have a positive view of Shale just because he sort of winks at you with what he does. And exactly. you know, he he you know he got caught cheating for steroids, and he you know he he lied a bunch of times, and he did a bunch of you know things that in other people wouldn't necessarily be held against him. But I I mean I think if he came to you know a UFC event. 
um, next weekend and they showed Shale Son in the crowd, the likelihood is, if you weren't in Brazil, um, that people would cheer loudly for the guy. Whereas Tito, Tito was a guy that built up a lot of fights. At times he was very popular, won a lot of fights impressively. But because the things that people remember about Tito are more, you know, the complaining about losses, um, you know, some of the the things where he doesn't, didn't represent himself as well, Tito tends to get negative reactions when people see him. Um, and that's sort of the distinction is, do people remember the negative outside the cage things um, that you do? And does that stay with you? Or do people just sort of brush that aside and remember you fondly? And I'm not sure where Connor ends up between, you know, being a more Tito-like figure or being a more uh, well, I don't even know if Chael's a, the perfect example of that, but you get what I mean, whether whether he's somebody that's um, mem- remembered more fondly or not. Well, look, they're both they're both polarizing uh, figures. The difference is that a lot of the things Chael was saying was very tongue in cheek. You know, he's witty, he's articulate. And now, you know, he's having Anderson Silva on his show. And clearly that, you know. I think people are starting to understand that a lot of it was just pro, was just promotion, was just hype. And I know that he maybe crossed the line a few times, but I think it was all kind of done with a sense of humor. Whereas with Tito, you know, every other interview, it's all C6, C7, you know, this and that. And then also you just, I'm not going to say he ain't the brightest, but, you know, so some of the things, he's not the best, at, he's not the best talker. That, that's the bottom line. So it sounds kind of dumb when Tito talks and they're just, you know, whereas Chael's this witty, articulate guy, he's charismatic as hell, and he really, truly brought a different element to how to promote fights and how to sell fights. So everyone's always going to love Chael Sonnen. And, you know, he didn't make excuses for his losses, even when he'd lose a fight and say, I'm undefeated, undisputed. Like, this shit was funny, man. Like, whereas Connor is is not joking when he's calling this an illegitimate win and he's down and he's calling the last one a fluke, he's not joking. So I think that's the difference. Like there's no tongue in cheek with Connor anymore. It's all, it's, it's bitter. It's angry. It's from a place of resentment. It's from a place that he would have never been at long time ago. I mean, he used to be the guy that, you know, talked about the secret and the law of attraction and, you know, being positive and not, you know, looking down on people that have more than you or whatever the case may be. Like, I don't see that guy anymore, man. I I see a, a bitter old man now. So I hope he can get it together. I truly do. Well, yeah, I mean, we'll see. I mean, the, the description you have of Chael is, I think, how people remember Connor at his peak. So it may be right. a case where people remember those things more than what came afterwards. But yeah, I mean, and and hey, I mean, hopefully, hopefully this chapter of Connor will be a low points of Connor because I'd I'd much rather him come back. Um with a uh you know you still want him you know talking trash and and having fun and you know having some rivalries with people but uh you know i i wouldn't like to see another scene like we got at the end of the show on on saturday night yeah absolutely not or the end of the scene of the khabib fight with that brawl like in in the cage i mean don't get me wrong as a fan oh that that, i think on that one he that was more well i mean he sort of precipitated it with the the, with the dolly attack but um on the night i mean that was he he dealt with the loss better that time and it was you know a lot of other people that were instigating things that night i mean look the dolly thing that's where i because I used to be the Connor guy that was like, because everyone used, to, a lot of people kind of hated him back when he was on the come up, man. And like when he was fighting Aldo, when he was fighting Mendez, even Poirier the first time. And I thought he was like the coolest guy. But the bus incident 
really rubbed me the wrong way. Like, what, like, what do these innocent people have to do with you and your beef with Habib? And then saying the stuff about Habib's wife, you know, she, she, she's a towel. Like, dude, like, what the fuck are you talking about? So I kind of felt like he had it coming to him. Um, then the Floyd Mayweather fight, there were a couple comments I didn't like. So I feel like ever since the Eddie Alvarez fight, that was the peak. Connor has never been the same again. Now, real quick, we got a couple fan questions. Um, MMA locker room said. Who will be the favorite in the Dustin versus Charles fight? Um, well, actually, the odds are out right now just in one or two books. And one book has it minus 158 for Dustin. So they're saying slightly over 60%. And then another one has it around minus 180. So closer to two to one there. So they are favoring uh, Dustin Poirier. I mean, I understand with Poirier having the distinction of the favorite. But, you know, Charles Oliveira is another guy that's paid his dues, that's picked himself back up and one of the most opportunistic finishers in the history of the sport. Interesting. You got the guy with the most knockouts in lightweight history um, in Dustin Poirier versus the guy with the most submissions in UFC history in Charles Dubronx. And then I want to say something else. I, this might be totally irrelevant, but I just kind of want to bring it up. If Connor was going for guillotine attempts on uh, on my boy Dustin Poirier, I'm very curious to see how those attempts from Charles Dubronx uh, would go down. What do you think, Todd? Oh, I think I certainly think he has a a lot more of a chance to land a submission on Dustin than uh, than Connor did. Um, and in fact, I think if you were looking at the if you were placing the odds on what the likelihood of the finish is, I think Charles by by submission is probably the most likely of the outcome over knockout or or, uh, or decision. Um, and Dustin, I mean, Dustin has you know very strong submission defense in his own right. But um, the thing about about Oliveira that's particularly good is because with those submissions, most people that have tons and tons of submissions tend to be guys that are just really good at landing submissions, no, no matter the position. The thing with Oliveira was he was a guy and his striking was underrated for a really long time because what he did so many times is he caught people with strikes and then when he had an opportunity, he immediately pounced on them with submissions. That's the thing that I think he's better at than pretty much anybody is being like sort of a front runner submission guy, landing a shot getting a guy in trouble and then immediately capitalizing on them. And that's something that I think works against even your best jujitsu guys who might not fall for something in another, in another circumstance, but if you've got them rocked off some strikes um, or a good body shot, um, you can, you can capitalize on that. So yeah, I think that's a real possibility. Oliveira uh, submitting Poirier in that fight, but I, I think the odds sound about right to me. Um, I think that the thing with, with Dustin that he the advantage he has over um Oliveira is just what I talked about that um Oliveira is very good offensively but when you put it on Oliveira he doesn't always respond as well whereas Poirier is better at navigating difficult situations so if you're having like a striking battle where where Oliveira isn't really able to take over in the striking or even if he's doing a little bit better I like Poirier's ability to continue to work through it and look to land that big shot better than Oliveira yeah, no, I mean, that was the biggest criticism of Oliveira. I mean, we never criticized his jujitsu. We never criticized his stand-up. It was always about the mental. And once the mental caught up with the physical, well, now you're looking at a world champ. I mean, because I remember his UFC debut against Darren Elkins. I remember that performance he had against um, Efrain Escudero. I mean, the guy was a young phenom, but then they rush him in there with Jim Miller and Cowboy Cerrone, right? So this is a guy that's truly had to pick himself back up, just like Dustin Poirier. And uh, one of the fans had a very good point. Um, John G said, there's also an understanding that Charles is going to be going for the submission attempts while um, while Connor might have caught Dustin with the element of surprise, you know, because in the, in the firstly, Connor doesn't have 
maybe more than one submission win on his record. But secondly, talking about how, you know, leg kicks are for pussies, submissions are for pussies, this and that. And, you know, the only legitimate way to win is by knockout and this and that. So <laughs> Dustin was probably. Although if you want to talk about like putting, you know, tongue in cheek that I view that as a tongue in cheek argument myself. Yeah. I mean, I hope that you're right. Cause if, if that was indeed just hyperbole, then I'm cool with it. It just seemed to me like he was serious. Like, Ever since um, you know these these boxing matches he's had, he's kind of been a little bit more one dimensional in his approach. I mean, don't get me wrong, the end goal has always been the same to land that clean left hand and put these guys down. But you've seen him pull audibles in fights before. Like I know you remember the Max Holloway fight back in the day where Connor suffered an injury, ends up going to his wrestling like pretty nicely. But you haven't seen him mix in the other elements of mixed martial arts in a very long time. He's kind of I think that. Because, you know, he took a big break after he won the belt against Eddie Alvarez, and then the Floyd fight happened next. And I feel like he only started working on his boxing. Don't get me wrong. He's a martial artist. He'll always have his other weapons. But I feel like his approach changed completely, and he wasn't as open-minded about everything. Because back in the day, you used to ask him about his submission losses, and you say, look, they were panic situations. I was, you know, I was a guy that was only training striking. I wasn't, you know, ready for all the elements of the game. Now I am. But now we're kind of reverting back to the old ways where, you know, oh, grapplings for pussies and this and that. And it's like... I don't know. He was the one going for the submission attempts in that fight. And I got him give him credit. If that was truly tongue in cheek and if that was truly catching with the element of surprise, then, hey, you know, all is fair in love and war as far as that's concerned. But I kind of thought that they were desperation guillotine attempts based on the fact that he was going for it from half guard, which, you know, like I said, if you train jujitsu, you know, that's a big no, no going for guillotines from half guard. You need to secure that body. You need a full guard with the guillotine. Yeah, although I mean, I think what he was pulling it, he was hoping that he was going to be able to get a better position than he did. Um, I, yeah, I mean, it's difficult to say. I mean, I think I tend to agree with you that I think it was um, it was in large part brought on by desperation. But I mean, we've seen people grab really t really hard on guillotines unnecessarily when taken down. Connor again, he he pulled guard with that thing. So if it was a desperation thing, it was desperation from the fact that he had been tagged a couple times on the feet that he was probably feeling a little bit tired. Maybe I'll get him. Maybe I'll get him with this, uh, this opportunity here. It was bad strategy either way, but I think there's a, a little bit of a different psychology when you're like, okay, maybe I have an opening here versus, Oh God, I'm in a bad position here. Maybe, maybe I'll try this. It, I don't think it was this sort of like, you know, Oh God, things are going really bad here so much as this isn't really going my way. I think I got an opportunity here. If I'm thinking about it really carefully, probably not, but um, you know, I'll go for it. And then the key too is the, is, is the move. I mean, as they, they talked about on the, on the, um, the commentary and as you know, if you've been watching Dustin's fights over the years, I mean, that's his bread and butter submission. That's the thing that he's best at. So that isn't what you'd like to go for. I mean, I think if Oliveira is looking for submissions against Dustin, it's much more likely to be trying to set up a rear naked choke or an arm bar or a, a leg lock than going for, uh, for guillotines. Yeah. So Here's a question I got for you. So I think we can both agree that Dustin Poirier's next fight is Charles Dubronx Oliveira. Barring, but, you know, you know, nothing funny going on. You never know. Yeah, you know, no, no injury. Let, let's just say they're going to get scheduled to fight. Mm -hmm. That's the next fight that will be scheduled, you know, whether injuries or whatever. Ha Dustin Poirier will be scheduled to fight Charles Oliveira next. Now, let me ask you this. Will who will be Conor McGregor's next opponent? Will it also be Dustin Poirier? I think most likely, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, he's the money. So, I mean, and he wants to fight. And Dana already suggested that he was, you know, likely to do that. And he did that the night of. And you would think that if there was a point where he would be least likely to want to do that, it would be the night of. I would think just because we'd seen how the fight went. And I think that the claim would be weaker for it. Whereas time goes by, people don't worry about it, you know, worry about those things as much. It becomes easier to sell. So if he's saying it the night of, yeah, I think, I think. That's uh, that's likely. And I mean, the thing with it, I mean, UFC is not going to worry about giving Connor a title fight, whether that's, you know, right or wrong. They, they've shown the willingness to to do that sort of thing if they've got the right fight. And then on the flip side, if, if Dustin loses one of these fights, I think Connor's still going to like the idea of, of fighting Dustin again. So, yeah, that that sure seems like the most likely fight for Connor. Next. Even though, even though, in my opinion, Dustin won the trilogy. I mean, that's facts. So it's not just opinion. I mean, you know, he wouldn't mind getting another massive payday with pay-per-view points and the whole bit like let's go ahead and secure our family we know we're going to whoop this guy again so i think you can probably agree with me that conor mcgregor will never touch gold ever again he already had his time i mean he hasn't touched gold since 2016 but i think we both agree he'll never be champ again but i won't, I, I, I won't say that 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 quickly because the thing with conor really? is he's such a big star that they're going to give him every opportunity. And so if you give this, if this guy, you know, gives some, gives a softer fight, gets another title shot. If he gets, let's say three or four more title fights and he's earned, let's say one of those three or four title fights, that's still three or four chances. So even if you, if even if you're taking a guy that's on the decline, isn't fighting as well, but he hits really hard and he's given a bunch of different opportunities, you know, maybe one of those, maybe one of those opponents is a good matchup for him. I, I think, I think, you know, if I have to put the odds at, at above 50% or under 50%, I'm definitely going under 50%, <laughs> yeah. but I'm not, I'm not ruling it out, um, uh, you know, by any means given, you know, he's 33 and I think they're going to, they're going to try to get him the title picture as quick as possible. Um, it'd be, I, I'm sort I was thinking of it as sort of like Faber where, um, and Faber kept winning the non-title fights, but there wasn't really anybody else in the division. That they won in title fights more than Faber. So they kept finding excuses to put Faber in title fights. Well, look, I think we're talking about two different things. I, I'm not debating that he might get another title shot like that. You're, <laughs> you're Conor McGregor. Like, you know, it, who who was it that just like got a, a title shot like off a loss? Like there's been a couple recently. So I'm not debating that he might get another title shot even two down the line. That's not the debate. The debate that I'm saying is that he will never touch gold ever, ever again in, inside the UFC's octagon. I'm, I'm confident saying that, Todd. Well, I mean, look, look at it this way. If he gets three title fights over the course of his, his career, let's say that you think that the odds are six to one, which is really wide in MMA. The odds are six to one against him in each of these fights. You're still looking at a 50% proposition that he has a title again. If he gets three title fights and he's six to one on all three of them. Yeah. I mean, listen, it's just like with the way the sport's evolving, I, I don't know who he can actually win to capture that goal. But what I do think is, you know, there's fights out there with Tony Ferguson. There's the Diaz trilogy. Ally Kinta, I believe that Connor would beat Ally Kinta. So there's fights like that. I think those fights make sense. But I, I just think if he fights Dustin again, and with Dustin's current form, I think he's going to get hurt. If he fights Charles Oliveira, I think he's getting submitted for the third time inside the octagon. So, um, yeah, I, I just don't see him touching gold. But where, where do you see him going in terms of, you know, continuing to fight? I mean, like you you told me you think his next fight will be Dustin Poirier. I'm going to say I assume he loses that fight. Does that mean it's retirement next? Does that mean Diaz trilogy? Does that mean Tony Ferguson, Ally Kinta? Like, like what are you thinking? 
And I think you've hit a lot of the key guys. I mean, I think Nate Diaz makes a lot of sense for him. Um, as Masvidal. a trilogy fight there. Um, I think he'd be less apt to fight Masvidal, although that'd be a big fight. Um, and, uh, you know, as, as Jorge's also getting older, so, you know, he could, he could see some decline as well. Um, you brought up Tony Ferguson. I mean, Ferguson seems like sort of an ideal pick from a right. UFC standpoint of a guy that um, was a really good fighter, but looks like he's sort of right at the end now. So you could have, I mean, I think those are sort of your options is people that sort of make sense from a personality standpoint, which, you know, Diaz, uh, I mean, I think Ferguson will also fit that way, but I mean, that's where I think I, I Quinta comes in, um, you know, he's sort of a colorful personality in his own right. Um, and you know, might be on the easier side too. So yeah, I think those are some, those are some fights. Um, I've always liked the idea of, of Connor fighting, uh, fighting Gaethje. I mean, partly because I'm such a Gaethje fan that, um, I like that you know, too. It would be a good, um, opportunity for him and it would be a fun fight while it lasted. So I think that's another, another option. How do you think he deals with those leg kicks? Yeah, I mean he's got he's got to be ready for those <laughs> because uh, Gaethje's going to come out firing them, and uh, yeah, that could be that could be trouble for him. So MMA locker room says he thinks Connor needs to go back to forty five. Look, that's never going to happen. But here's the thing: Are you right that Connor's best weight class, as far as all his performances and accomplishments go, that forty five was it? I mean beat max there he beat dustin there he dethroned the great jose aldo i know that's for some of the newer fans y'all don't appreciate jose aldo but for a guy like me who was coming home from high school watching him flying knee cup swanson watching him dethrone mike brown like jose aldo is one of the greatest fighters in the history of the sport and is a first ballot hall of famer i don't give a shit what anybody says so being the guy to dethrone well, aldo, if, someone, if someone's saying otherwise you know the don't listen to that <laughs> well it, it, it's just a thing where like you know a lot of these fans they didn't start watching when we started and and that look guys there's nothing wrong with that i'm not trying to be a uh, mr seniority i'm not trying to be you know oh, i'm so much better than you but like listen i didn't start watching at ufc one i started watching around the time when uh chuck liddell you know fought rampage and forest fought rampage i started watching around so that you're one of the tough noobs then Right, yeah, exactly. as we, as we uh, denigrated those people back in the day, yeah. not me, but yeah, it's it's funny how these things go in circles where right. um, one person's uh, one person's uh, you know youngster is the next person's OG. Exactly. So I started watching around then, but I went back and I watched the history of the sport, like from the beginning. So I, I went up and I caught up. So all I'm saying is because I know a lot of newer fans that grew up, not grew up, but started watching the sport in the Connor era. You know, they don't respect Aldo like someone like me and Todd does. So what I recommend is that you just go back and watch the history of the sport so you can have a full appreciation of it. I mean, look, if you're in your college or high school class getting bored to death with your history lessons, go go get into some history you might actually find interesting, you know? So, <laughs> that's that's Dan's advice. I say pay attention in class, people. Don't 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 put uh fights on, <laughs> on your iPhone while the uh, the class is going on. But it, look, if they're not paying attention anyways, go back and uh, learn about the history of this point. But I agree with you. Get get that degree. Do it on the it. weekend. <laughs> I'm I'm college educated too, Todd. But, no, but, uh, but um, look, I, I do agree with him that 45 was his best weight class, but that's a thing of the past. You know how many years ago? You know how many years it's been since he fought at 45? And the reason he stopped was, well, firstly, he wanted the champ champ status. But secondly, those weight cuts were getting brutal, man. You remember the comments we used to make? about connor on the scales at 45 skeletor this skeletor that so uh it's uh yeah it, it's one of those things where you know and now he's about fighting at 55s at 70s he ain't 
he ain't hungry enough, uh, no pun intended, to go back down to 45. So he's not the star for all that. And also, with the way the sports evolved, like how do you see him dealing with a guy like Alexander Volkanovsky? How do you see how do you see a Max Holloway rematch going? I, I got Max Holloway a favor in that. You think that Connor can keep that pace up with Max Holloway? Like, there's zero chance about that. Like, and catching Max Holloway early, yeah, right. Like that that's a snowflakes chance in hell of happening and then you know how they fought the first time you're not about to go out there and out wrestle max like you did the first it's just a different era of the sport man and i would confidently pick max holloway in a rematch over conor mcgregor at 45 or at 55 yeah i think max is a favorite against conor and uh, i agree with you conor I, I don't see conor trying to make that weight cut again i just even even putting aside sort of the hunger of of going through that weight cut i think his body has just changed since then i think i think that would be too rough on his body to try so yeah and it's like you said i mean that was those were the you know the best wins of his career i mean the jose aldo is the you know is to me i mean clearly the top um check on his on his uh um on his career resume but you know i sometimes you can't go back to uh to to things yeah, and, and it's like what GSP used to talk about. I think he gave Roy Jones as an example as like Roy Jones went up in weight and then when he came back down, he was never the same, man. But I don't even think Connor's gonna attempt 45s. I think that's completely out the question. So yeah, that's not, plus he's in his 30s now, he's not hungry anymore. So I think it's only gonna be those fights that we've been talking about. The Poirier, what's after a trilogy? quadrupology like uh, how do you call it <laughs> quadrilogy like, i think quadrilogy okay i like see i'm learning something new here i appreciate well, if I recall that. correctly that's what they called it when they did a fourth alien movie um i think that's where i first heard the term okay yeah yeah so there's that i assume he loses that if by some stretch of the imagination he wins and he fights charles i got charles but the fights where i actually think connor could be competitive like i was telling y'all the tony ferguson fight the nate diaz fight the ally kinta fight like those are some fights that i want to see for him but man we got to give more attention to dustin poirier because like we said a guy that's truly paid his dues and has been himself the entire time never stooped to that low level and is doing all these things inside the cage outside the cage and happens to just be the most exciting fighter in ufc history like could you not be happier for a guy like dustin poirier to be in the position he's in i mean when you talk about truly rising up when you talk about putting in the work when you talk about earning this opportunity i don't i don't think anyone is more deserving of that title fight than dustin poirier yeah i mean we've we've uh we've talked plenty about him he's uh he's had a great career and uh i think i think the the ability was uh evident early on in his career but I think the the high profile wins have come in recent years, and he's put together a you know a Hall of Fame resume. I think pretty clearly at this point, and he's got you know he's still got time to build on it. I mean, I think uh, you know he's got plenty of uh, plenty of opportunities to continue to score high caliber wins in the uh, the next few years. Awesome. Well. We're going to get out of here soon. Let's just wrap it up. Let's answer a couple fan questions, maybe touch on a couple of the other fights we saw mm -hmm. um, over the night. So Will Martin, good friend of mine. What's up, Will? Shout out to Will from Scotland. He said, Dan, Matush Gamrot fights this week. How do I see it going down? So Matush Gamrot, he's fighting Jeremy Stevens, actually, uh, Saturday night on the UFC card. And listen, Jeremy Stevens is a guy that knocked out Rafael Dos Anjos. Jeremy Stevens is a guy that knocked out Josh Emmett. Jeremy Stevens is, is a guy that's been in the UFC for a very long time. He's fought the toughest competition. And I got nothing but respect for him. But it, it seems to me like 
you know, if you're a guy with aspirations to be in the top 15 and you haven't figured out how to beat Jeremy Stevens yet, then there's a problem. So Matush Gamera, very credentialed over there in KSW, was the champ champ, you know, had a bit had a bit of a hiccup in his UFC debut against um Guram Kutate Ladze. But I think he bounced back impressively against Scott Holzman. And I agree with Matush Gamrot being the favorite here against Jeremy Stevens. The path and the blueprint has been laid out. Don't don't go out there slugging with Jeremy Stevens. You have to, you know, chop him down with leg kicks, pop that jab, just out volume Jeremy Stevens. Don't get caught and you win the fight. So I agree with Matush Gamrot being favored. What do you think, Todd? How much of a favorite is he, by the way? I hadn't looked at the odds for the card yet. Minus 200 to minus 250. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it speaks to the UFC, what the UFC thinks of him, because Jeremy Stevens, I think, is a, a good fight for someone getting, um, you know, early into the UFC, and that, you know, he's a, he's, a, he's a good fighter, but his name is probably a little bit higher than the danger that he presents relative to other people in the division. So it's an opportunity to, to turn some heads. And, uh, yeah, I, I think I, I think uh, Gamma should be favored in the fight. So. Yeah. He had another question, too. He said, I want to know what you guys think about Ilya Teporia and where he can, he can go in the division, top 15 or possible top five. Look, no matter what, I think the rankings are are definitely coming up for a guy like Ilya Teporia. He's been super impressive. Took that UFC debut on short notice against Zalal, who at the time was undefeated in the UFC. I mean, Teporia was a plus 160 dog, goes out there, dominates him, destroys Damon Jackson and under two minutes and then becomes the first man in ufc history to not just beat ryan hall but to finish him because the first man in mma history to finish ryan hall and didn't you know it's not like they were standing up and he dropped him he went down to the world that every other gray maynard avoided it darren elkins avoided it the great bj penn tried to avoid it but Ilya taporia had zero issues going down into the guard of uh of ryan hall and putting him out unconscious i i think this kid's super talented like todd the thing we got to understand is He's had 10 pro fights or less. He's just a kid. So you're going to be seeing these big, these big leaps every single time. My only concern, Todd, is that when you have such an emphatic win like he did, I, I just don't want to see these kids get rushed too quick and get into fights that they're not quite ready for. Because I think the finished product of Ilya Teporia is going to be a top five guy. It's just we don't want to you know, rush him and ruin his career or anything like that. So I think we got to still take incremental steps up, which is what he's been doing. Um, but but nothing more. Let's not let's not get crazy. Let's not put him in there with the Ortegas or anything like that quite yet. I think we got to take incremental steps. What do you think? Yeah, let's not pull an Edmund, as they say in some circles. Um, uh, yeah, so, I'm, sorry, I heard I, I misheard what you let's said. Not, let's not pull an Edmund, as they say in some circles. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm reluctant to make sort of declarative judgments about people really early in the UFC because there was a time when the the sport was le was thinner, and you could the difference between the people that are on the top level outside the UFC and the people that were at the bottom level of the UFC was really similar, and the people on the top level of the, outside the UFC and the people in the mid level of the UFC were pretty close. But now because there's so you know there's so many more people fighting and there's so many more people at a higher level there's so many layers to it and so you see people come in the ufc after looking really impressive outside and i i want to see more before i start to target where they're going to end up because i've just seen too many fighters where they come along they look really impressive and then somebody figures out something and you're only in mma you're only as, as strong as your weakest link and we'll see and and granted i mean 
Tapuria does not look like he has a lot of weak links. I mean, he's he's a tough, rugged dude. He's got good striking. He's got an, an even better ground game by all accounts. So he doesn't look like somebody that has a lot of weaknesses, but it's still early. I want to see him against higher level competition before we start to judge exactly where he, he, he's going to end up because there's just so many really good fighters at this point in, in the game that – um, you know, you can be a really good fighter and still sort of, you know, bottom out and sort of the, you know, in the, uh, you know, the middle of the UFC and not get that far. So I, and I'm, I'm reluctant to sort of judge things that early, but I mean, Hey, he's looked, he couldn't have looked much better in the early going of his UFC career. And, uh, on Saturday, I mean, he took care of a guy that's pretty tricky. Um, and like you mentioned, he did it without a lot of, uh, I mean, he was careful, but without a lot of concern for a guy that is a specialist in a in, in a really good specialist in his game. So I think that that speaks to his confidence in all aspects of the game. You know, that's such a good point because I remember there was this kid, Eric Silva, comes out to the UFC, destroys his first two opponents in a way. We're like, yo, who's this guy? Then they put him in there with John Fitch, who was the number one contender at the time. He was never the same after that fight. There was this kid, Brandon Thatch, absolutely killed his first two opponents. Then they throw him in a main event with Benson Henderson, was never the same ever again. So to your credit, yeah, like that's why we need incremental steps up for Tapuria. He's just a kid. He's either 9-0 or 10-0, and, and, and he's still in his early 20s. So I agree. Let's take these small steps up, and then eventually let's see where he's at. But I do think he's got the talent to one day be uh, in the rankings high up there, potentially challenge for a title. It's just we're not doing that after these three wins. We got to take the next logical step up the ladder. So I completely agree. Uh, Phil said he suggested another fight for Connor down the line. The RDA fight. I, I agree with that, man. I think the RDA fight is, you know, they have a lot of history. You can sell that fight. That's another one that I wouldn't mind for Connor down the line, Todd. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that RDA was the backup for this fight. I would have figured they would have gone in a different direction. So I thought that was that was an interesting one. If I'm the UFC and I'm I'm thinking of it, I would be less likely to make that than some of the other ones because I think um, RDA doesn't have the notoriety or the um, well. I mean, I think people know him, but I don't think he has the popularity that some of the other op uh, uh, the other people do. So I don't think the fight the fight would necessarily do that well. And I think he'd have a really good shot of beating Connor. So if I'm UFC and I'm sort of looking for matchups where, you know, the risk reward ratio for the company is, is better. RDA wouldn't be at the top of my list. And I think frankly, RDA gets bought up around Connor a lot because the fact that at one point they were going to make the fight. And that was the reason they were going to make the fight was because RDA was a champion at the time. Um, and because of that, they started thinking about that more and more. I don't think if that, had, I think if they hadn't aligned at that specific point with RDA being the champion, when Connor was looking to move up, I don't think it's a fight people would be thinking about. So um, that would be that would be lower on my list, but certainly a fight they could make. I mean, they're both um, good fighters at sort of, uh, I think, similar levels, uh, even if I'd favor uh, RDA. So let's quickly just touch on some of the fights that happened. Gilbert Durino defeated Wonderboy Thompson. I expected a chess match, and I thought that Gilbert Durino, tactically speaking, did what he had to do. He got Wonderboy so worried about the entries that he was able to actually go upstairs with some shots, which normally you start to throw loopy shots against a guy like Wonderboy, and that's grounds to get countered. But the fact that you know he fainted the level changes then eventually got him down on the ground, it's been a while since we've seen Wonderboy held down. So clear win in my eyes for uh, Gilbert Durino, and... Now he's back uh, in contention. Yeah, I agree. I think it was a uh, solid win for for Burns. Not the most exciting fight, but I mean, it's very difficult to be impressive defeating Wonder Boy Thompson. Exactly. Um, you know, he's just his style is uh, is such that um, 
you know, if you make an exciting fight, you're more likely to lose. So you've got to be cautious. The thing that I think, I think that if the same, I think if Gilbert Burns had fought Wonderboy Thompson a few years back, he would have likely lost the fight. But I think as Gilbert Burns' striking has improved in recent years and he's gotten more accustomed to that, he's been winning more fights that way. I think you saw a, a confidence and willingness to get in close and trade shots in order to move in, close the distance and get the takedown. And I think there was a time where he probably would have been like other opponents too reluctant and, and too cautious in Wonder Boy's striking to be willing to close the distance and get the takedown. And that's that's the key, I think, was Burns's confidence in not getting knocked out on the way in. And at points I thought he was a little bit reckless, frankly, but he got through, he didn't get he didn't get caught with anything big, and he secured those takedowns and, and won the fight. And he, he landed some good shots too on the ground. I mean it took him took him a little long at times, but um, you know, when he had the openings, he he took advantage. And what was cool to see about Burns getting that win is that oftentimes when fighters come off the title loss, you know, they, they don't they don't respond the same. You see an unmotivated version because, you know, every fighter's dream is to become world champion. So you can often see a deflated, unmotivated version. Gilbert Dorino picked himself back up. That dude is mentally strong. And again, it's not easy to have an exciting fight with Wonderboy. It, it's another thing to beat him, too. So I thought that he handled that perfectly. And I, and I bet his next fight will be exciting. So. Gilbert Dorino moves up the ladder. Tied to Ivasa knocked out Greg Hardy in the first round. And this was an interesting fight because neither guy is known for shooting takedowns at all. It's more so like kind of the kind of point volume style of Greg Hardy versus that one hitter quitter chopping dudes down with the leg kicks of Tied to Ivasa. Tied to Ivasa and, you know, guys like Justin Taffa. I know they're super uh, influenced by like Mark Hunt. So they kind of bring that old school Mark Hunt style back into the octagon, which is what I really love. But you stand a bang with a guy like Tui Ivasa. And, you know, chances are you're going to get clipped. And that's exactly what happened. And then back to how I was talking about earlier, how sometimes when these guys make these outlandish remarks in the lead up, that's when things don't go their way uh, in the fight. Like we were talking about Connor with all the stuff you said, but Greg Hardy's talking about, I'm going to box Deontay Wilder. I was like, uh, I, was <laughs> I like, missed what? that one. <laughs> uh, 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 I was like, wait, what? <laughs> like, hold, like, hold on, Greg. Like, wait. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so when I was Did here, he a year, <laughs> like, dude, like you beat Ben. Like, no, no disrespect. I respect anyone that steps in there, but like, you know, just to entertain the fans, like you beat Ben Sassoli and Jorgen the Castro. Now we're talking about boxing, <laughs> Deontay Wilder, and uh, he was saying some other stuff. You know, talking about uh, the Black Beast, Derek Lewis, who's the number one contender. Like, what? Like, Greg? Like, like. You got Tai Tuivasa in front of you. I think hopefully that was a humbling experience for him. What do you think? Um, yeah, I mean, look, I mean, if just the idea of a guy that hadn't trained in MMA and had been a you know a football player for most of his life getting into um, MMA at the age that he did, you've got to have an athletic confidence about you to try that. So I, I don't resent people for having that sort of confidence, but yeah, I mean, perhaps misplaced um, the, the the confidence was, and uh, yeah, I mean it. You know, he he landed a, a a couple good shots, and he got overconfident, and he charged in there and got knocked out, and uh, and and that's the sort of thing that happens if you end up you know standing and trading with Tui Vasa. Tui Vasa is a guy that I mean, neither of those guys like the strategically strongest fighter, um, so you know both of them can can uh, can get themselves into trouble playing games that they uh, that that they're not accustomed for, but that the game that uh, Tui Vasa was playing was the one that he's best at. So um, I thought it worked out well for him. And he came across like a star who knew that the uh, the Spice Girls were such a, a, a hit for UFC walkouts, walkout songs. I'm uh, curious yeah. if someone else is going to do that now. 
I haven't heard that song since like elementary school. So I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah me neither. <laughs> but the people loved it. <laughs> yeah, it was great, man. Um, so another, another, someone else suggested maybe Connor versus Jeremy Stevens down the line. Like after Connor takes a couple more L's, you play the whole who the, who the fuck is that guy clip and <laughs> sell the fight like that. Maybe that's another potential <laughs> opponent. So Irene Aldana defeated Yana Kunitskaya. I was wrong about this. I was expecting this to be a 50-50 split decision type fight. Um, and maybe Yana could get a little more top control, this and that. But actually, what ended up happening was Irene Aldana misses weight by three and a half pounds. And I have my own theory about this. Maybe you disagree. Maybe the fans disagree. Maybe I'm wrong. But I kind of felt that Yana Kunitskaya lost her cool as a result of Irene missing weight. I mean, she came out there in what I like to refer to as a suicide mission. If you watch Cody Garbrandt versus Pedro Munoz, you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> when they, they're they redlining full full steam ahead, and no matter what happens, uh, it's going to happen. So what I thought uh, happened was Yana Kunitskaya, she was out there. She was screaming in the fight. She was just redlining, and I ultimately think that that's what cost her the fight. And props to Irene capitalizing another first-round knockout which you don't often see in this weight class dog yeah yeah i mean i wasn't thinking of it that way watching the fight but i mean you make a compelling argument for it i mean because she was definitely um not as cautious as she often is in fights and it looked like it was going pretty well for her. i mean she was doing you know landing some good shots and uh and uh and keeping aldana off balance but eventually aldana you know landed uh landed well and from there she capitalized on it so yeah i mean certainly the strategy was uh you know, not on point for, well, I mean, regardless of whether the strategy was on point or not, it, it backfired on her uh, either way. And uh, yeah, good one for, good one for Aldana. I mean, both of them are, you know, quality contenders right in the middle. So it's a sort of win where, you know, establish a few of those in a, uh, in a row and you get yourself into, uh, into the title mix in, in that division. 100%. So Sean O'Malley defeated Chris Mutino. The big uh, argument is should they have let the kid go the extra 30 seconds? So look, Fighter safety first, I, you know, let this guy get home safe to his family. But with that being said, Todd, shouldn't we have stopped it between the first and second round? That's where I felt like it was appropriate to stop it. The kid's eyes are rolling back. He doesn't know where he's at, this and that. But if you're going to actually let him continue, like let him let him have his last 25 seconds and have the glory of, you know, because this guy wasn't in the UFC last week. This guy was the biggest underdog on the card. This guy wasn't supposed to get past the first 30 seconds. The fact that he made it as far as he did. I personally thought they should have let him go up 25 more seconds. I can't passionately debate against it because you are protecting a young man's life. But when you talk about protecting his life, you should have protected his life 10 minutes ago. Yeah. I mean, this fight goes into, I think what's become an ongoing discussion in the sport, which is how to handle what I sort of think of as a boxing stoppage in that in boxing, in boxing, the mentality often is these two people are mismatched. One person is landing plenty more blows. And even if the other person is not in a, you know, a state where they're unable to defend themselves, a referee will just step in because of the one-sided nature or a corner will throw in the towel because of the one-sided nature of the fight. There's a fight like that last weekend. I'm forgetting where it was, but it's showtime where it was, you know, it, it was on the border of competitive, the other guy wasn't taking like a terrible beating, but one guy was clearly winning every round and the guy was a prospect and, you know, he was, you know, taking extended punishment and the corner just stopped it on him. And there's been lobbying from a lot of people, including myself, that in MMA, we should think more about that because MMA, we've got the, you know, we've got the standard of able to unintelligent, unintelligently defend yourself, intelligently defend yourself. And people are thinking in, in that, 
in that ballpark. Like as long as you're defending yourself, um, fights will continue. But sometimes there are times when the guy is intelligently defending himself for the entirety of the fight, but he's just taking so much damage over time that it's really accumulating. And a lot of people think, well, the, the referees and, and, and the uh, corner should step in more in those instances. I think with this specific fight, what happened was that people got caught up so much in the narrative that they weren't thinking in those lines. And it's, you know, it's what you brought up. You have this guy who's coming in on UFC debut, um, short notice, overmatched, you know, on paper in terms of what we're thinking. And he's having all these shots. He's got the crazy hair and he's just marching forward and marching forward and marching forward. And people were so in the story of this guy, you know, marching forward and trying to get the win on this, you know, guy that's been hyped up and has a big fan following. And we're so caught up in it that when the, when Herb Dean stepped in, you know, Joe Rogan was just burying him, I think because he wanted to see that story played out. Whereas if you had two guys that weren't as well known, if it was just, you know, two guys in the second fight of the card and one guy took the exact same beating, I don't think any would have, would have been complaining at all. And in fact, I think it would have been what you said that there would be saying, Hey, why didn't they stop the fight earlier? So I think what happened there was people were just so caught up in the story of the fight that they weren't worried as much about what was happening in the course of the fight than they might in another circumstance. There just needs to be more consistency, not just with that, with the judging too, but there needs to be more consistency because like you're going to let Calvin Cater take that beating against Max Holloway, but you won't let this. So it's just like, where, where do you draw the line? I don't know. More consistency. That's all I got for that. So Max Griffin defeated Condit. I thought you just edged him out on the cards. Good job. You move up the ladder. I don't think we really need to touch on that unless you have something. No, I agree with you. Yeah, I would say uh, I thought a, a competitive fight, but I think Griffin deserved the decision. Absolutely. He'll move up and hopefully some more exciting fights for Condit. I was so happy they booked him with Matt Brown because I know you remember when they were supposed to fight on Fox a long time ago back in their primes. And I'll never forget the face off they had and then they were never able to fight. So I was just so bummed out. I was looking forward to that fight for years. So let's just get Carlos Condit. Carlos Condit versus Nico Price. Like, Carl, let's, let's put Carlos <laughs> Condit in exciting fights, man. Like, I don't want to see guys lay on Carlos Condit. And granted, Max Griffin didn't lay on him. Max Griffin was kicking his legs. Max Griffin did his thing. Props to max you move up we'll see what's next for him michelle pereira defeated nico price i thought it was a great fight i think that michelle pereira so his last two fights prior to this one it seemed like he started to dial it back in you know because what i always talk about on half the battle you probably didn't hear this but you remember his debut versus danny hot chocolate roberts how it was this video game-esque finish like you've never seen nothing like that before and you know gets his first 50k bonus you know what happens when these guys that have never seen money like that get that first 50k bonus they go off the deep end sometimes very next fight against tristan Connolly, he's got a 10 minute walkout and during that 10 minute walkout he's a, he does 10 backflips and that fight against tristan Connolly wasn't even about what tristan Connolly did right that fight was about what michelle pereira did wrong <laughs> they fight again and <laughs> excuse me <clears throat> they fight again and michelle pereira is even one percent more focused i think he runs through the kid no disrespect to tristan Connolly. that's just my opinion so i felt like last two fights we started to see a more dialed in michelle pereira however those were in the apex with no fans this guy is a showman this guy feeds off the crowd so this time i think the reason he got tired well firstly the output was on point the first two rounds secondly nico price is an absolute dog and you don't finish him he will be in your face for the duration of the fight so there's that too but also i think that you know with the crowd there him trying to put on such a show i think that kind of gassed him out a bit but i got to give him credit for keeping the composure to not get finished a spot where someone less experienced might have got taken out there by such an opportunistic finisher in nico price 
I just think that's who Michelle is. I mean, I think he's just a natural showman. He wants to have fun. He wants to entertain. He has more losses on his record than he probably should, given his skill level. But that's part of the fun of him. I mean, I saw this fight on on uh, on paper, and I thought, wow, what a great idea for a fight. I was right. I was really pumped up to see that one um, when it was. Uh, uh, well, not when it was announced, but when I learned about it, because I'll, you know, there's so many fights now. I'll, I'll learn about fights like two weeks beforehand rather than uh, than necessarily paying attention to when, when they come out two months beforehand. But yeah, I thought it was, you know, a, a fun fight as you expect between the two, and sort of your classic fight where one guy wins the first two rounds, the other guy clearly wins the third round, and the the, the crowd in those circumstances always prefers the guy who wins the third round, even if the guy who won the first two rounds is your winner by the UFC scoring system. Yeah, I mean, we it ain't pride rules, it ain't street rules. It's you know round by round, uh, ten point must scoring system. So two to one, Michelle Pereira. But take nothing away from Nico Price; he'll be back. He's one of these guys that, you know, as long as he doesn't like, you know, get knocked out in like four fights in a row and like go on a big skid, like he's gonna have a long career in the UFC. Just in terms of you know, until the wheels fall off, he, he, when he wins fights, he's getting bonuses, man. And it's tough to call these Nico Price fights flukes anymore because you remember the Randy Brown fight knocks him out from bottom. It's so easy to be like, oh, that'll never happen again. Then he knocks out James Vick from bottom. Then he knocks out Tim Means. Then he knocks out Juban, Alex Morano. Like, you cannot call these Nico Price fights flukes anymore. Even the Jeff Neal fight, back when Jeff Neal was the hot prospect prior to the health issues that he had, which I sincerely hope he makes a full recovery. Uh, Nico dropped Jeff Neal in that fight. Nico gave a lot of people a sweat in that fight. So Nico is a junkyard dog. And as long as, you know, his health is still good, his durability is still there, I think that he's going to go on to win a lot of fights and put on a lot of exciting, a lot of exciting shows for the fans. I hope so. Yeah. I, I, I love watching that guy fight. So we talked about Ilya Taporia. We're going to have to take an incremental step up, see what he does next. Uh, Drikus Duplessis. Now, I got to talk about this kid because, look, it doesn't look the prettiest. He's hittable. It looks he's kind of stiff out there. But God damn, is this guy a finisher? I mean, he's 16 wins. All 16 of his wins are by finish. And this guy is an opportunistic finisher to a point where people are going to underestimate him for the reason I brought up. It looks stiff. He doesn't look the prettiest. He's hittable. All these things. But he's got the touch of death. He's got a good submission game to go along with it. I would not sleep on this guy, Drikus Duplessis, especially early on in his career right now as he's facing guys outside the rankings, as he's kind of climbing his way up. I think he's going to have a lot more finishes to show us. Yeah, I mean, certainly, I th- at least to me, this was a case of, of, of hubris. I thought that Trevin Giles, he came in with those hands down at his waist. And I mean, look, if you're Anderson Silva and if you're Israel Adesanya and you've been training martial arts for, for years and years and years, and you know, you know, you know your reflexes, you know the game really well, you can get away with that. But um, I thought there was sort of an, an unearned um confidence in Trevin Giles in the way that he fought. And, you know, the ending was him, you know, going in there, he landed a couple of good shots, but, um, you know, Duplessis had his guard up here the whole time and he was able to defend them. And, you know, when, uh, when Duplessis goes back for his counters and, uh, and Trevin Giles, hands are down at his, uh, at his midsection, you know, you can't defend with the, you know, with your hands at a midsection very well. And, uh, he got caught. So hopefully a lesson learned. Cause I mean, I think, I think Giles has some uh, some tools, but I thought that he didn't give um, Duplessis the respect that he uh, that he should get, and uh, and he paid for it. 
I feel like a lot of people are going to make that mistake because, like I said, you watch him on tape, you're probably like, like oh, I'm going to whoop this dude's ass, but then you get in there with him. It's a different I feel story. very confident he had that thought. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Giles is a guy that's known for that lightning fast jab. I didn't see him get off on that jab. I saw Drikas Duplessis come out with the leg kicks. Then he takes Giles back and then eventually knocks him out with the counter. So I was very impressed with that performance. I want to see him, you know, like I was talking about with Taporia, you know, we're not trying to rush these guys to the top 15 yet, especially with, you know, your first UFC contract. Why don't we get past our first contract get some fights in then once we start making the bigger money then we go fight the top 15 guys because to be on your first contract fighting top 15 guys that's a bad business move as far as i'm concerned yeah no i'm I'm with you and i mean if if i thought that the guys could make that jump then i'd be fine with it like there's there's no need to hold back just for the sake of doing it you know like sometimes in boxing you know it's just like well you know, this guy's younger. We don't want to, you know, move him into higher fights very quickly. But if he if we if he did, he'd win the fights, but we just don't want to do it yet. With UFC, because the you know, the skill level is so high at the higher levels, like a lot of these guys, I you know, I mean, some of them would get wins here and there, but I don't think, you know, the average super prospect coming in at eight and oh and nine and oh is gonna do very well moving into a top fifteen opponent, you know, two or three fights in. Exactly. You can't rush him, you gotta build him up properly and accordingly and i think that's i hope that's what happens uh with these kids like taporia and duplicy so we got to get out of here but before we do if we have any fan questions that y'all want to know let us know right now this is last call for questions todd it's been an absolute pleasure man i know this has yeah, been fun dan this is the first time i've ever met you this is the first time you've <laughs> ever met me this is the first time we've ever talked like i don't think you you knew who i was last week and it's good to it's good to talk to you man and the fact that we went an hour and 30 minutes i think that means that uh you know, this sport is amazing, man, that you can bring people from different parts of the world, even though we're both in the States, but we're not in the same state. We're not in the same uh, city, anything like that. You're in D.C., I believe. I'm in ATL, GA. So, man, uh, what a beautiful sport to be able to bring two people that have never met and we can have a nice 90 minute conversation about it. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, that's really, I mean, that's been the sp- the story of the the sport in a lot of ways is uh, is people trying to connect and, and and get into it in different areas. And I mean, that's that's thing. I think part of why it still has sort of, even though the sport's gotten very popular, it still has sort of that underground feel where it's sort of like a clubhouse of people, and you know, there's sort of a skepticism of people that are you know are are not as into it as they pretend to be, or you know, it's 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 a you know, the, the, the connections of, of, of finding a sport that's really exciting. And I think for most of us that follow it really closely, think that it probably isn't at the level of popularity, you know, commensurate with how popular, with how great the sport is. Um, you know, it's always fun to have a great conversation about, uh, about the, the comings and goings and, uh, certainly a lot to talk about after UFC on, uh, on Saturday night. Yeah, no questions asked. We had a question uh, by Lewis. He said, what's next for Tony Ferguson? I mean, look, I think he's in the similar boat as a lot of these guys that, you know, the title is out the question, but he can still have some big fights. He's still a big name. I think the Conor McGregor fight still out there. I think maybe a Nate Diaz fight. Um, so I think there's a lot of things you can do for Tony or if you want to build up some of the up and coming prospects and get them that signature win like they did with Benil Darius. Now, Benil Darius is not an up and coming prospect for those that don't know. And I talk about this all the time when I break down Benil Darius's fights. I considered Benil Darius to be the number five guy on planet Earth in 2016 back when he beat Michael Johnson. In my opinion, because Michael Johnson was the number five guy on planet Earth. You beat the number five guy, you are the number five guy. And then he unfortunately, you know. That gets you into some trouble, though, (laughs) when you use that across the board. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, 
I know what you're saying. Like, if you've never done shit and then you just beat this, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Like, if Mutino beat O'Malley, we're not putting Mutino in the top 15. So, like, I, I get what you're saying there. But in Benny's case, who had already, you know, paved his way in the UFC when he beat Michael Johnson, I, I, I considered him on, you know, top five guy. But had the three fight skid and it went through a lot of stuff. He picked himself back up again. He beat Tony Ferguson. Now he's the number three guy on planet earth. So there's some other guys that we could use. Let me, let me pull up the rankings real quick, but before I do that, tell me your opinion on uh, where Tony Ferguson stands. By the way, just on the, the Darius side, I'm totally with you on that one. He's actually, I mean, he's not, I don't think he's as much of like a crowd pleaser than that, that, that Poirier is. But as far as like, yeah, he's a technician and he's a guy that I think went slept on for way too many years. I mean, you could tell how good he was really early on. And, uh, and he's had his, you know, his setbacks, he's gotten caught here and there, but um, he's a really good fighter and uh, absolutely deserves respect with the, with the top names. Um, as far as Ferguson goes, yeah, I mean, the choice is, is the two that you outlined. Do you match him in there with prospects who you think can either, you know, establish themselves as, as being really good or Ferguson will get a win that'll help, you know, keep him in the relevant mix? Or do you put him in there with a bigger name with somebody that has more notoriety and see how he does, potentially somebody that's a little bit older? And I think that's basically basically going to be the choice. Um, if it were me, given that he's had a few setbacks, I'd try to find somebody that was a, a little bit, a little bit, I would think easier um, to just sort of see where he is. I mean, if he has an impressive performance against someone that is well-known, but not necessarily at the top of his game, I think it's a sign that he's gotten more left in the tank. And if he doesn't do as well, that's probably a sign that you, you shouldn't uh, bank too much in your plans on, uh, on Tony Ferguson moving forward. Definitely. So, you know, there's an ADS fight possibility, maybe Connor, maybe Michael Chandler. I think that'd be an interesting fight for uh, Tony Ferguson as well. Um, and someone asked, where's Justin Gaethje? I believe he's actually fighting Chandler. I would I would favor Gaethje in that specific matchup. Um, all right. And one more question before we got here. Um, he said, Dan, who does Connor beat in the top 15? Um, Ally Kinta? Oh, oh look! Oh, they took they took Ikenta out the rankings. Finally, I'm fucking happy to see that because he hasn't <laughs> won a fight in how long? So they they did that. Um, but man, it, the the issue is that Connor's not going to get matched up with a Brad Riddell. Like the name is just not big enough. Connor's not going to get matched up with a Tiago Moises or any uh, any of these guys. It's only going to be like a, you know, like we talked about um, a Tony Ferguson, an RDA. One one of the bigger names. So even though we might pontificate about who he could beat, most of these fights ain't going to happen, right, Todd? Yeah, I mean, you look at these uh, these fights, and a lot of these people are not going to look to put in with Connor. And as far as like who he would beat, I, I don't I don't look at future matchups as sort of like a, a you know a yes or no proposition. I look at it as sort of a probability game, and. If I'm looking, if I'm Connor, I'm looking at sort of these matchups here at 155. Ferguson's the guy I, I wanna, I wanna fight. I think that's the guy that I've got more of a shot of, uh, of beating at this stage of the game. Um, I mean, really, is a matchup. Honestly, I feel like Oliver is a better matchup than some of these other ones. Like as far as like Poirier, Gaethje, those seem like bad matchups for Connor. Um, Chandler. Mm, that's interesting sort of in the middle makashev that's a nightmare you nightmare. do not want makashev um gregor gillespie's interesting i mean he's sort of like a matchup that connor had done well against early in his career but that doesn't necessarily mean he'd, he'd do as well um later in his career 
Kevin Lee's had some, you know, some bad losses over the years, but I think Kevin Lee would beat Connor. Um, so yeah, those are some thoughts on some different guys there. K Diz says he wants to see Duplessis versus Andre Muniz, that the kid that submitted Jacare. That's an interesting fight. I'm not opposed to it. Uh, MMA locker room asked me if I liked any Bellator this week. The only thing that stood out was um, this kid Mateus Matos. He, he's fighting against CJ Hamilton. All respect to CJ. I know him because I've called some of his fights here in the NFC. I was just kind of surprised to see CJ Hamilton in a featured bout in a Bellator card, meaning third to last fight, Coco main event. I kind of viewed him more like like a prelim kind of guy. No, no disrespect. That's just my opinion. Um, so I would maybe Mateus Matos as a as a parlay piece. And let me see if there's anything else before we get out of here. It looks like uh, it looks like that's it. So Todd, man, thank you so much for joining me on this special UFC 264 recap edition of Half the Battle. It's been an absolute my pleasure. pleasure. The fans can follow you at Todd Martin MMA. And before we get out of here, is there any message you have uh, for the fans? Any work you got coming up? Anything you want them to check out? Um, nothing big. I mean, I, I've got my uh, my shirt weekly shirt dog coming column coming out uh, tomorrow, so you can check that out shirtdog.com. And uh, yeah, um, hope everyone uh, is doing well. <laughs> so your weekly column, like what like what does it usually entail? Is it like a recap of the past week? Like how how does it? Work out. I just hit you know different topics depending on what's going on in the week. It's usually just sort of a uh, opinion column about different things. Um, I think this week I'll be talking about Connor. That seems to be the uh, the story of the uh, the week. But yeah, it's more uh, you know more opinion based. I've done a lot of sort of like uh, fight recaps and interview pieces in the past, but that's sort of the lane I've been settling into uh, in uh, in recent we- in recent years rather. Got you. So make sure y'all check him out. Todd Martin MMA. Check me out. Best fight pick. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, all the places where we are available. We'll be back later this week to break down this up and coming uh, UFC card between Islam Makachev and Tiago Moises. We'll break down the whole card start to finish. Also, check out my sponsor, Manscaped. Go to manscaped.com. Use promo code BATTLE20 for 20% off and free shipping. Truly appreciate it. Everybody have a wonderful day. And until the next time, let's cash these bets. (laughs) 